0: You today, wherever you are, whoever you may be, wherever you may be watching, I'm so thankful for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Antioch West. Whether you are uh, a part of us uh, in body or in spirit, or maybe at this point in time, you're being led of the Lord uh, as to where you uh, want to be connected in your journey with Jesus Christ. And if that's here in Antioch West, we're so honored to have you a part of that. Or if that's somewhere else, we pray that you would be connected to the body of Christ in whatever place God has called you. But I'm so thankful today to be a part of the church. And I mean that. I don't say that as a uh, as, as some kind of uh, marketing ploy or some kind of tagline. I mean that because when I read the Bible and I know what, and I, and I see what he designed the church to be. What an honor and a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ today, to be a part of his, to be connected to the body of Christ. Um, And so thankful today to to be a part of that. And I'm excited. I mean that. I'm not just saying that. A lot of you know me. You know I can be a little fired up and I'm a little emotional at times, but I don't come to you today with emotion and rah, rah, rah. I mean, I am excited today. Uh, I feel like God has uh, put some things in my spirit. We're moving forward, and um, we have been through the a fire. We have been through the flood, but as the old song says, we're standing here because of the blood. So um, I'm excited today. I hope somehow you're excited, because you know what? If you're going to be here, you might as well get excited about it. Hey, come on. I know, come on, I know, listen i I get it, you know what well, I don't know what I'm being excited about, Be excited that you're still standing, come on, somebody, I know I can hear amen out there somewhere, come on, Canon, camera, give me an amen one of these days i'm gonna put i'm gonna put a give that canon some eyes and a mouth so I can at least see Miss, Mr Canon, please, give me a smile over there. no, I'm just joking. The Lord laid something on my heart today, and um um he spoke this to me several days ago. And I, uh, I'm so excited because I feel like I've been in this vein last month as God has begun working on me and he was challenging me to go further. But as far as that, as part of that was challenging us in Antioch West to go further. And I was, you know, I just felt like I kept, son, of, I was on, you know, rinse and repeat sort of with some things that God was uh, having me share with you. And I felt like last week was the same thing, but I was so excited today because God gave me something that I believe today somebody is going to hear, whether it's live or maybe you're going to watch it at a further date, or maybe somebody here, you're going to hear this and you're going to think of somebody and you're going to share this with them because I believe today that this could be a life-changing moment for somebody watching today, that you're going to feel and be connected to God at by the end of this Like you've never felt before. And I don't say that because of something I'm doing. I just know that when God put this in my heart, he put it in my heart because there's somebody that's watching today that specifically needs to hear what I'm saying today by the power and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Not the words of Joel Wright, but I pray in Jesus name that somehow you would not hear me speaking, but you would hear Jesus speaking to you about you. And that when you're done, your heart is filled with love, joy, hope, and peace. And even if that's not you today, I believe there's something here that uh, you will hear and receive uh, as the Lord ministers. We were doing, uh, we we spent most of the summer in the book of Mark. We got about halfway through the book of Mark. Hopefully, we'll be able to finish that eventually. Uh, But the Lord kind of put a pause to that for a while. But that... We got through about the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. And um, as we go through the book of Mark, it's impossible. Listen, it's impossible. We spent about an hour here on Sunday mornings, roughly. Um, it's impossible to be able to cover verse by verse something of that magnitude. Even though Mark is more of a condensed version, uh, it's it's impossible to um, to cover that much ground. So we skipped over a lot of good stuff. We skipped over some things that really, if you've been around uh, church at all, or you've been connected to a church, you've probably heard some of these stories so much. And the Lord kind of navigated me around some of those. But I want to go back to one story in particular in Mark chapter 5 today. And I want to talk to you about the reckless love of God. is not that just sound fantastic? The reckless love of God. I want to talk to you today about the reckless love of God. Because there's a story in Mark chapter 5 that if you have been around church more than 10 minutes, I guarantee you somehow it's been referenced or you know it at least in some capacity. But I want to go a little deeper into this story today, uh, more than just what the, what, the, what the biblical text tells us. I want to really get into the, to the, to the, to the nuts and bolts of the moment and the magnitude of the moment, and really the reckless love of Jesus Christ that this shows us in this story. It comes from Mark chapter 5, even though there is uh, another reference to this as well in the book of Matthew, and and the story sets up like this. Jesus is um, uh, in the uh, Galilee region, and uh, he's performing many miracles you know his 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 uh reputation if you want to call it that is beginning to build um he's getting a quite a, a following and the scripture says he crosses over to the other side and when he gets to the other side the crowds are absolutely uh uh everywhere and as you can imagine um how it'd be nowadays it's kind of like you know if a celebrity goes out, the paparazzi follows, the crowds follow, and you know, I can imagine that times a hundred, really, how they approach Jesus. You've got to imagine. I mean, this guy is healing people that have uncurable diseases. I mean, you've got to think about that. What, 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 would, what length would you go to uh, if you knew that there was somebody who could cure something that others called uncurable? So the amount of people, the crowds, and honestly, probably a lot of it, curiosity seekers um, that came just to get a glimpse, to see Jesus, just to take a look at him. So he goes to this other side. He's just absolutely everywhere he goes, there's throngs of people. And in the midst of this, in Capernaum, he is approached by a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was not just your average Joe, but Jarius was somebody who was an official of the local synagogue. Uh, synagogue was sort of the gathering place of the Jewish community. It held great significance in Jewish community, not just in a, a religious aspect, but also in a social aspect, in a in a, in, in, in in really a, 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 a civil aspect. The synagogue was a very central place to the Jewish community, and so Jarius was an official at this synagogue. So he was not, again, your average Joe. This was not just some guy. And it, it, even if he was, that's not the point. But the point is that Jairus came to Jesus. He more than likely would have been a well-to-do man. He would have been probably uh, pretty well-dressed, probably cared himself very well. And he comes to Jesus, and he's got a problem. His daughter is sick and dying. And... um There's this this aspect of the moment that's quite interesting. Because I wanted to paint a picture for you. And all this matters to this next part of the story. So I'm not just rambling on here. I want to paint a picture for you. And we're going to get into the story today. Because if you can see some similarities here in the story, you're going to be able to really understand how this pertains to you in just a moment. But Jesus is walking around this mob of people. And... There are people that just want to touch him. They just want to touch him. They just want to just reach out and just take a take a touch of him. I remember when I was five years old, we went on a mission trip uh, to Japan, and um, I was uh, a five-year-old little boy, and I had um, extremely blonde hair. And we went to Japan and South Korea. And I was this white American with bright blonde hair. And I remember walking around with my parents and total strangers. I'm not talking about people in the church. I'm not people on this. I'm talking about just random people on the street coming up to me and wanting to just touch my hair. I don't know. That was almost 40 years ago. So I'm not sure. There wasn't a YouTube or as much, I guess, exposure to other uh, cultures as there is today. So I was, I, I'm imagining that some of them may not have ever seen hair color quite like I had at the time. And so they were randomly walking up, just touching me in my head. I remember as a five-year-old boy going, this is the weirdest thing. And for some reason, I don't remember my parents stopping him. Come on, mom and dad, what was up with that? And I was just joking. I... It was bizarre. I mean, people literally just want to come up and rub my head. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about there are just people all over. I mean, we're we walking down the street in, like, Tokyo or Seoul, South Korea, and, and people are just walking up and rubbing my head. I don't know if I had good luck. I don't know. Maybe all those people became wealthy or something because they rubbed my head. I have no idea. That's a really small, insignificant thing. I can't imagine what Jesus was going through. How many people are just like touching him or just wanting to get a glimpse of, or God forbid trying to tear a piece of clothing off of him as a souvenir. I mean, people are crazy. Come on, y'all. I mean, look at the, look what people do. I mean, go back and look at the reaction that people had when the Beatles showed up to America. Remember on the Ed Sullivan show? If you don't know, go, go YouTube it. The Beatles on the Ed Sullivan. I mean, there are people in the audience that are crying. I remember hearing an, uh, a, uh, an interview by the Beatles, that there were times where in their concerts, they'd stop singing because the crowds were so loud screaming that their music didn't matter anymore. These are natural men who are just entertaining. I can't imagine the magnitude of the crowds for Jesus with the significance of his ministry and the healing that was happening. I imagine it was it probably at times the, the disciples were more Um, bodyguards and uh, um, personal protection than they were followers of Jesus because I'm sure it got crazy. Come on, let's just be frank. I don't think it was all just decently in an order and like, oh, there goes Jesus. I imagine there was a lot of pushing and shoving and yelling and screaming. And so this is what's happening. And in the middle of this, people are just wanting to touch him. Just, Just touch, I just want to touch him. Just, ooh, I got to touch Jesus. Did you feel anything? No, but I got to touch him. I'm never washing my hand again. I've had an opportunity to meet some somewhat celebrities in my life. And uh, I just remember greeting them or shaking their hand or just having a moment. It's like, oh, my God, look at that. I feel like they're on me. I just Maybe I'll never wash my hand. I mean, and they're just normal people that happen to be famous or something. This is Jesus, man. Can you imagine touching Jesus and you'd be like, you know, I'm never washing my hand again. This is it. This hand is going to stay with Jesus cooties on it Forever. So, in the middle of this, this guy named Jarius, this official, comes up to Jesus and uh, he says, I got a problem. My daughter's dying. And he asks Jesus for something. And, and, and again, I want to paint this picture because it's all leading up to something. We have a crowd that's thronging around Jesus that's just trying to get a glimpse or touch him. Then we have a man that comes up to Jesus and his, he has a child. In fact, the Bible's very significant on telling us that is a child. She's not a woman, she's a child. And the Bible's telling us that he asked Jesus, would you come lay hands on her? Would you come touch her? Um, because she needs to be healed. And so Jesus agrees to this. So Jesus and Jarius start to walk from wherever they were, presumably maybe down by the shore, to where Jairus' house is. And as he's walking with Jarius, this crowd is coming around him. That's the picture we got. In the midst of this moment, in the midst of all this happening, we're introduced to probably one of the most pathetic characters in all of the scriptures. I say that not to be condescending, kind of but it's a very sad, sad situation. We are introduced to a woman who is labeled or described as a woman with an issue of blood. Now, I'm going to try to be as coy as I can. I understand that we have many ears listening today, so I will try to be uh, forthright in describing what is happening without being uh, too much into the birds and the bees of life. But this is a woman who is dealing with a female problem that has never stopped. So the Bible describes it as a woman with the issue of blood. That's how the Bible describes it. But the issue of blood was not the fact she had a cut on her arm. The issue of blood is that she was dealing with things that a woman normally goes through, but hers had never stopped. So that's the label that we get from this woman. We don't get introduced to Sally or to Rebecca or to Rachel or to Sarah or to Maggie or to Linda or to, you know, I'm uh, 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 trying to think of some more, more female names. I apologize. Brittany. Brittany thank you. My, my daughter's helped me out. That's not who we are labeled as. We're not saying, hey, here's Brittany. And by the way, Brittany had a miracle in her life. We are introduced to this woman by her condition. Very sad. And not only this, but we're introduced to this woman by not just simply her condition, but the magnitude and the sort of the plight that her condition had brought her to. Because we are told that she has an issue of blood. It has lasted twelve years nonstop, and she had basically run out of options. she had spent all of her money and had no more options because she had visited every doctor she could find, and nobody could help her so when we introduced this woman we're introduced with her condition that somewhere along the line she had started her um, Her uh, uh, natural bodily process that a woman has, but instead of it stopping in a period of seven days, hers continued for 12 years. Now, I know this is a little maybe uncomfortable to talk about. Obviously, I'm trying to be as um, proper as possible. On describing this, but the Bible actually was very clear on some things, because the Bible actually in Leviticus, and I don't have time to read it today, even though I would could have read it easily, but uh, in our day, if you had that condition, um, it would be terribly inconvenient. And I'm not saying that if you're a woman you had that condition, it would be a great quality of life, but it would be more about quality of life and inconvenience. But in her day, it was greater than just simply quality of life and inconvenience because the Levitical law that we find in Leviticus had very specific things pertaining to a woman during this monthly process. And the Bible... Describes that at the end of this process that a woman goes through naturally every month, that at the end of that she was considered unclean, ceremonial unclean. Now we're going to get into this in a second. It's not saying that she was sinful or, or 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 morally impure. That's not what unclean means in this context. It means she was ceremonial unclean, and before she would. Um, uh, be able to participate in any kind of rituals or any kind of uh, engagement religious engagement she had to go through a purification process says, in fact in some of the great orthodox communities in America still and around the world in fact, in williamsburg Brooklyn, there is a very the, the acidic Jews in Brooklyn still practice this today that as a woman <clears throat> goes through <clears throat> her monthly Um, process at the end of that she has to go to a place where she is ceremonial clean cleansed and a part of that is where she has to bathe in what's called a mikvah a mikvah is very much like our baptismal uh, situations now we believe that when you're baptized you don't just sprinkle water on but we believe the bible says when you're baptized you're fully immersed why do we know that well there's a bunch of reasons for that one of those happens the fact that in the Old Testament, to go from unclean to clean, you had to be washed in what was a mikvah. A mikvah was not a sprinkling of water, but a mikvah was literally, it was a big giant pool that you would walk in one side and you would fully submerge and dip yourself and you would walk out the other side. And in that process, you would be considered clean. So when a woman went through her monthly process, there was some very strict Levitical laws that made her scripturally unclean, ceremonial unclean because of the fact that during this process, bleeding was involved and blood has a very significant part in scripture. Now I'm trying to paint a picture here without getting too graphic, but you got to understand this because it all leads up to this one moment where we see sort of the reckless love of God. This is not just getting into a science thing here today. So we find out that this, that this monthly cycle made you religiously uh, 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 ceremonial unclean. You had to go through this process. And anything that you touched, anything that you sat on, anything you, you, you laid your hand on, anything you rusted up against, anything that came in contact with you during this period of time was considered unclean as well. Now again... I want you to keep in mind as we talk about the word unclean in this context, unclean is not talking about, and we don't connect it to sin or moral purification. That's not what, because I know some of you may be hearing me going, well, that's unfair. Why would God consider a woman unclean? She didn't do anything wrong. Unclean in this context is not talking about sin or uh, it doesn't talk about moral moral impurity. There is a lot we could talk about about ceremonial uh uncleanliness we don't have time for that today uh, but here's the point in the jewish world and even in scripture blood is considered to be the very element of life in fact the bible says that life is in the blood so to bleed would be normally something considered bad in fact if you have a cut today and you're just bleeding uncontrollably that's not something to take lightly You usually do something, what do we do? Stop the bleeding. That's the terminology we use. Stop the bleeding. So bleeding in our day and even in the biblical day was treated with a very serious attitude. And rightfully so. So in this situation, a woman is not just dealing with the idea of losing blood and the consequences of constantly being losing blood. I mean, she had to be extremely anemic. But she's also dealing with this ceremonial uncleanliness. And on top of that, isn't just isn't isn't this just the way it is? On top of that, rabbinical and Pharisaical law had placed a whole. Another aspect of added restrictions that made the attitude towards women much worse. Now we could get into that. I'll just say it this way. I'll try to say it kindly. Usually the spirit of religious tradition targets women more than it does men. I'm just going to say the way it is. Because I believe women reflect the glory and nature of God better than men. So the spirit of religious tradition usually targets and oppresses women more than it's men. If you don't believe me, look across our world. The more religious societies are, the more oppressed their female populations are. Again, I'm not saying this defensive. I'm trying to get you to realize something here. I've, I've been... countries, extremely religious, and there are great restrictions on females. So the spirit of religious tradition chart goes after the female more than does the male. Now, if I was in an auditorium, I'd ask all the ladies to say amen. You're not there. So hopefully, ladies, I'm getting an amen from you. Now, rabbinical and pharisaical law, not to get into all that, but Those of you that know a little bit about scripture understand the Pharisees had added a whole level of laws and regulations above scripture. In fact, that's one of the clashing points that Jesus gets into with this group is because they had added to what what was commanded. And part of that command, they had added to a whole cycle of things targeted towards women and this natural process. And that increased the hostility towards women during this period of time. So this poor lady, the evidence is piling up against her. We're not just talking about a physical issue here. We're talking about a physical, religious, socio-economic issue that is compounding to magnitudes of desperation, of hopelessness, and utter despair. Because society's against her, the church is against her. Life's against her. Her body's against her. Everything is against her. Her family is not even mentioned. We don't even know where her family is. All we know is she wasted all her money. Presumably, somehow, some way, she got money more than likely given to her by her family, but she's wasted her inheritance. She has nowhere else to go, nothing, and here we are. And what's made it worse is all this. Because of these extra laws, A woman couldn't handle money. She couldn't handle tools. She couldn't handle food. Anything else. I'm talking about anything she touched. Was considered unclean. So. This. Period of time. That a woman. Goes through naturally every month. Would make her unclean. Now. There's an aspect of this that was designed by God. i am just getting into that just for a second to kind of see how sometimes what was meant for evil is meant for your good. But what was meant for good sometimes can be towards your detriment depending on how you, life shapes up. Because this was actually sort of designed by God. Because during this period of time, a woman could not engage in things around the home to the level she normally would. So every month, a woman got time off, and the man of the house, the kids, other parts of the house had to step up. And for this period of time, they had to take on the responsibility because the woman could not engage. So every time a all this, so this had increased the appreciation. That's why I believe part of it is there's this appreciation in these cultures for women and what role they have and how important they are because every month they're gone. And it was actually quite interesting because you got to think about it. These, they're, they're very small communities, but as these communities were interacting, it was a huge deal something celebrated when a, when a, when a girl Began to have these things naturally happen to her body. And she crossed over from being a girl to being considered a woman. This was something that was celebrated. We talk about bar mitzvah, right? This is the thing where a, man, a boy is celebrated for becoming a, 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 a man. But there's a bar mitzvah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, 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 an aspect where you celebrate a, a girl going from girl to woman. And this is a thing that was celebrated. When, when this happened in your body, this was something celebrated. Because you're now part of a club. As funny as it sounds. Because they actually would set up tents right outside of the cities. And when this would happen, these women would go to these tents and they would live there with other women who were going through the same process. And these would be places where uh, there was great community, fellowship, connection, teaching, training, comfort. Great bonds were created. Because you've got to think about it. There was constantly women coming and going from these tents. Now, This was quite interesting. So, from an early age of 13, 12, 13, 14, depending on your your makeup, throughout your entire life as a woman until uh, your body changes as you get older and you go through another change of life, during that period of time, you had this aspect of community and connection and fellowship that was built into it. So, when I say unclean, and most of you women go, that's not fair, for seven days we're cast out. No, 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 for seven days, You're set aside to refresh, to get recharged, to get ministry, to get connection. And these are all things that are extremely important for women to feel connection, to feel community, to feel love for one another. And this was put in there and designed by God. It wasn't, well, you know what, here's your monthly situation, bad, 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 unclean. No, it's like here's an opportunity for you to go and recharge. You carry the weight of the family. You carry the weight and the burden of rearing children and the responsibility Here's seven days of refreshing. And you have all the women you can connect with. This is what this is the communal aspect. This is what was designed. But now let's go to this woman because when this happens, this is great. She's kind of excited. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a part of the club. This is great. But the problem with her, and we can just assume this would be the case. The Bible doesn't say it, but we kind of can assume When she started as a young girl, hers never stopped. So what was going to be something that was going to be a place of refuge and restraint and refreshing in this part of life now had become something that had produced shame, rejection, hurt. And then the Bible says, and I was was rereading this the other day and it kind of hit me. The Bible says that she suffered great at the hands of doctors. I I can't even imagine what first century doctors were doing to try to treat this. There's no telling the barbaric nature. I mean, when you think about some of the things that even a couple hundred years ago they were doing to us, I mean, they were, you know, used to, you know, if you were, if something was wrong with you, they put leeches on you to suck the blood out because they figured, you know, if we can get blood out of you, the blood's bad. This was only a hundred years ago, 200 years, a couple hundred years ago. Think about just a hundred years ago. Go read medical advances a hundred years ago and some of the stuff they were doing. It's like, holy cow, this is crazy. Some of the stuff that they were trying out to treat people. Go back 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine what doctors would have done to this poor lady in an effort to try to fix this problem? And it wasn't just one doctor. It was many doctors. And the Bible uses the term specifically, she suffered great. Now, this is all building up to this moment. Because she's out of money. She's been dealing with this condition 12 years. So she's physically Depleted. Her doctors had done God knows what to her, so she's carrying bodily scars. Her family more than likely had rejected her. Society had rejected her. Uh, she had been living unclean for twelve years, so she's ceremonially been rejected. By now, she should have had kids, at least a few kids. I mean, if she'd have started around 13, let's just say that she should be 25. By that point, in the Jewish world, you'd had at least two, or three kids. She should have a husband, a life. But she'd never touched a boy. She'd never held a boy's hand. She'd never been hugged or kissed or caressed. She'd never been loved by a man. Because if she would touch a man, he would be uncleaned. So instead of being accepted, she was constantly rejected. She's constantly, and I'm sure by the period of time she goes to, she's got a reputation that don't get near her. And imagine if every time she walks into town, she knows everybody's walk, walk, watching her. Oh, don't, no, don't touch. Hey, yo, don't touch. Get away. She walks into town. She's just trying to buy bread. No, don't come to my stand. Don't come over here to my, my bread stand. No, no, no. Because if you touch my bread, i got to throw it all out. It's unclean. If you touch my cart, i got to throw it out. If you come over here and drink from my well, my well's unclean. Get away. So she's constantly dealing with this rejection, hurt, reminder of a condition she had nothing to do with. And it's literally. And I imagine there's got to be an aspect of this she feels punished. My god God why me why why I mean when she walks in a crowd nobody I mean the crowd parts because my god if you if she touches you you're you you're this is bad so she's alone abused unwanted unclean unloved untouchable She's like a ghost in her own community. She's there, but no one wants to speak to her. No one wants to talk to her. She's judged. She's flawed. She's insufficient. All the things that as a woman, and I'm not a woman. Hello. But as a woman, all the things that are key to a woman. That as a woman, you want, you need, you crave. She couldn't have any of it. She felt alone. She was abused. She was unwanted. She was unclean. Unloved. Untouched. My wife talks about this a lot that for a woman, touch is everything. To be touched, to feel touched for a woman. That's why the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, lest the fire be started. So for women to be touched or to touch is everything. So here's a woman who can't touch and can't be touched. Now let's go back to this building this story here for a second. We're almost done. Jesus is in a crowd filled with people touching him. Jairus comes up to him and says, would you come touch my daughter? And on the way to this house, a woman who can't be touched and who can't touch comes in contact with Jesus. And here comes Jesus and she knows by now his reputation She knows by now that he's a healer. She knows by now that he's a miracle worker. She knows by now that this is significant. But she's got a major problem. Usually when he's healed people, he's touched them. Because maybe, maybe not, but I'm sure the crowd was clamoring that day. And hey, where's Jesus going? You know, Jarius, the guy from the synagogue, his daughter's dying. He asked Jesus to go over and lay hands on her, touch her. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Let's go see what happens. Oh, did you hear about Jesus? He healed the blind guy. Oh, really? What did you do? He reached and touched his eye. <gasps> hey, did you hear about Jesus? He healed a lame man. How did he do it? He reached down and he touched him and pulled him up and he was healed. Hey, did you hear that Jesus... Fed 5,000? How'd he do it? Oh, he reached and touched the five loaves and two fish and multiplied it. All this stuff is leading to a conclusion. I need to be healed, but I have no way to get to the healer. I need what he's got, but the problem is, the way he works, I'm disqualified. Because the problem is this. We don't really know what's going through her mind. We don't really understand, but I imagine by this point in time, she understood her plight. She understood her condition. She understood the, the kind of the foolishness. And I don't believe she was selfish. I don't believe she was. In fact, the way she approaches Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a second, proves to me she wasn't selfish. So she knows, Mike, if, if I touch him, he's unclean. And if he's unclean, he won't be able to go heal this little girl. So she's going to die. So what do I do? And if he touches me, he's unclean. And therefore, the little girl dies. So either way, I lose. If I, if I touch him or he touches me, he's unclean. Nobody else here gets healed. It's only me. I don't believe she was that selfish. So because of this situation, she comes up with this strategy. That she convinces herself is the only option she has. She says to herself, there are these tassels that hang from the garments that males wear in the Jewish world. We call it the hem of his garment. But when I think of hem of his garment, I'm thinking about the aspect I had. Actually, I had one here this morning. We're not talking about little strings that hang from your clothes. The hem of his garment would have been the, you see it now. If you see a a very Orthodox Jewish man, um, you'll see hanging from his jacket or hanging from his shirt. You can see that the edges or the tips of these these tassels that hang down. And so this is what is being referenced to when it says to touch the hem of his garment. It's not that she's just going to randomly look for some, some stray string hanging from Jesus's garment. She's specifically targeting something that she knows that will be accessible. And that is these tassels that hang down in the back. And so she says, if I can just touch one of those tassels, I'm actually technically touching him. So if there's healing power in him, I'll be made whole. But if I touch the tassel, there's people everywhere. He won't even know I touched him. So, If I can go incognito, I can touch him, I'll be healed and nobody will be hurt and we'll all just live a normal life and he'll go save the little girl and everything will be okay. So she devises this plan. Now I can imagine in her desperation, she probably lifts up the edge of his or her garments, covers her head, she bends down, she gets low to the ground, and begins to push her way. Because first of all, if anybody recognizes her, she's finished. If anybody finds out who she is or knows who she is and calls her out, then everybody in the crowd will freak out, run, scatter. Because everybody in the crowd that comes in contact with her, who touches her, who brushes up against her, automatically are unclean. And if they're unclean, they're, they're not allowed to be around anybody, including Jesus. So she's got to be very stealthy, very, very deliberate in her approach. So I imagine she puts something over her head, begins to slowly make her way to the crowd, not making any sudden movements, not jarring anybody, but also making sure that she's not recognizable. And as she kind of pushes through the crowd... Here is Jesus walking with a synagogue official. Not only are we dealing with Jesus, but then we have a synagogue official who now knows all of the additional things that disqualify her. The Bible says that she makes her way close enough to Jesus that she reaches out and she grabs a hold of that. And the Bible says, immediately, The bleeding stopped. She knew it. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine after 12 years of constant bleeding, the moment you touch it, it stops? That should be something to be celebrated. That should be something to be going, yes, I'm free. I'm free. I'm healed. I'm free. I'm healed. Jesus just healed me. Jesus just set me free. I'm free. I'm healed. Yes. That's what should have happened, but the problem is, she can't say anything because who's going to believe her? Women's reputation and women's word of didn't really hold much credence in society at that time. We know this because when the woman was caught in adultery, they brought the woman to Jesus, not the man. So, of course you're healed. Would have been the attitude. Really? Healed? 12 years? You just made all of us unclean. Get out of here, lady. Go back to the outskirts of the city where you belong before you make all of us unclean. So she can't even celebrate what happened to her. She has to touch the hem of his garment, and slowly sneak back away. When she gets alone by herself, she can celebrate. And then maybe she can move to a new town, start a new life. No one will know that she had this issue. And she can be normal again. She can finally have a a family. Maybe she can finally have a man. Maybe finally she can be touched and be touched. Maybe she can finally hold a baby. All this is rushing through her head as she slowly slinks back into the crowd, hoping to get away. And then all of a sudden, her worst fears come before her. Jesus pauses and stops and looks around and goes, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples, being absolutely clueless to the moment, kind of looked at Jesus like, really, dude? Have you not looked around? There are people everywhere touching you. What do you mean who touched you? He touched you? She touched you? He touched you? She touched you? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. Virtue flew. I felt virtue leave me. This wasn't a touch. Somebody touched me. And he begins to look around. And by that time, she's in a sheer panic. She now knows, oh no, I'm in trouble because now I've made Jesus unclean. Jarius's daughter is going to be. The crowd's going to hate me. Jarius, who's a synagogue official, now's going to read me my my the, the 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 my rights because now I have just violated law and now I, I oh this is bad. This is really bad. I mean, my goodness, where's the, where's the escape hatch? I imagine she's like in her head going, okay, what do I say, what do I say, what do I say? And he looks at her and finally locks eyes on her and sees her. And all of a sudden, she doesn't know what's going to happen. And by that time... She kind of has nowhere to go because the crowd is not letting her out. The crowd's kind of trying to keep everybody in. So she's trying to wiggle her way through the crowd. And all of a sudden, everybody freezes and stops and nobody wants to move. And the only person in the crowd that's moving is this lady. And she's trying to say, okay, here, have my spot. And everybody's like, why, why are you the only one moving? And Jesus locks eyes on her. She couldn't have been very far away at the time. He moves over to her. And there was a collective gasp. And I imagine at that time, she was probably about to pass out. And I imagine even Jarius is thinking, what's going on? Dude, my daughter's about to die. Why are we stopping? Who cares someone touched you? Can they get healed after? My daughter is about to die. But Jesus goes up to this woman. She's shaking. She is scared out of her mind. I don't know by that point. She's on her knees. I, 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 don't, I don't know where she was. My, 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 my image I paint, she's somewhere down low. Either that, she'd fallen on the ground. I don't think she's standing there. She's probably trying to make herself just disappear. And when they have contact, the story spills out. Because years later, when this is being written by Mark, presumably we think Peter was the one that was giving Mark the information as Mark wrote this in his gospel. Peter remembers this part of the story very well. Because the story spills out. She tells Jesus, I've had blood flowing out of me for 12 years. When she says that, the crowd had to step back. Everybody move out of the way. Hey, get back. No, here. You know, Jacob, grab the kids. Pull, Pull them away. She's unclean. She's unclean. When everybody pulls away, the reckless love of God compels Jesus to step forward. Everybody's rejecting, but Jesus is engaging. Imagine Charius is thinking, oh, my God. Oh, no, please. If he touches her, please don't touch her. Or, okay, maybe she didn't touch him. Maybe this is all a dream. I mean, maybe this is bad. This is really bad. This is really bad. Okay, lady, you're just nutty. You really didn't touch him. No, because if you touched him, now he's unclean, and he won't be able to heal my daughter. She's going to die. And, okay, maybe, well, okay, well, he is Jesus, so maybe he's, but I know if he touches her, he's certainly going to be unclean. This is bad. This is really bad. And then the kid, my daughter is going to die because this lady, that's what's going through everybody's head. She tells Jesus this. And he walks up to her. And he hears the story, hears the plight. And most people, when they quote the story, they quote it that Jesus' is first words to her were, well, your faith has made you whole. But when Jesus looks down at her, the first two words that he speaks to her are the most powerful words, some of the most powerful words Jesus ever spoke. He looked at her and he said, my daughter. I want you to know something. Go look it up if you don't believe me. This is the only person in all four gospels that Jesus refers to as daughter before anything else before one accusation could be leveled against her before one condescending voice could be echoed before one more moment of shame or hurt or abuse could be hurled her way jesus boldly states to the crowd she belongs The Greek there is not just daughter. The Greek there is, he references it to her as my daughter. When she has nothing to offer him, he claims her as his own. I want you just to take that in for a moment, the magnitude of that. He's challenging the crowd and even Jerry is to a degree by saying before you go down those roads, I'm telling you, this is my daughter. Before one person can get angry or quote Levitical law or quote Pharisaical rabbinical law, Jesus says, enough. Enough. She belongs to me. Whatever you think. Makes her unworthy. Whatever you think has caused to reject her rejection Whatever she thinks about herself. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is she's mine. And she belongs to me. He says to her. My daughter. Your faith has made you well. He says go in peace. And be healed. Wait a minute. That's not just the fact that a woman was healed of a little boo-boo. This was somebody whose incomplete life had been restored. But more than that, she had been accepted by the first man that has accepted her in at least 12 years. She had been touched and loved and accepted for the first time. And really... What was amazing is she brought Jesus her uncleanliness. But when she brought him her uncleanliness, it didn't stain him. It didn't tarnish him. In fact, he turned around and purified her. Which really shows me this. There is no one Today, that's unwanted by God. There's another aspect that's sort of mirrored in Mark chapter two, because in Mark chapter two we find a, a paralyzed man, another one that helpless, rejected, considered an outcast of society, and Jesus calls him my son. What's really this about today? This is really about the fact that I've come to tell somebody today that you are loved. You are valued. But more importantly, you are wanted by Jesus Christ. I don't care what society has told you. I don't care what the church has told you. I don't care what life has told you. I don't care what you've told Yourself about yourself. I'm telling you today. That Jesus wanted me to tell you today. That you are wanted. When I say those words. The list's. Of disqualifications echo in your mind. Yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. I'm sure I'm wanted, but that I'm sure if you're wanted, it's talking about somebody else. But you don't know how what I've done, or how I'm many of you abused, or how unloved I am, or how no one cares, and all. This woman had everything going against her, except one thing. She was wanted by the only one that mattered he looked at her and he said to her my daughter can I meet what's amazing the other side of the story as I close here today in the midst of all of this someone shows up to Jarius and says sorry bud it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Jesus is on her way to heal the girl. And this woman stops the whole process. And Jarius's daughter dies. What a terrible tragedy. So this woman gets healed. But Jairus' daughter gets... Dies. But aren't you glad with Jesus? That's not the whole story. Because even though she was dead, according to what everyone says... She con- Jesus continued on the journey. Got to the house. There were professional mourners that were already there weeping and wailing over the death of this little girl and Jesus kicks them all out and says, she's just sleeping. Resurrects her. Brings her back to life. And Mark tells us something quite interesting. We don't know this at the beginning of Mark 5. But Mark points out that the woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Presumably, she started her womanly process and it never stopped. So she never got to enjoy life to the fullest. But when he heals Jairus' daughter and brings this little girl back to life, Mark tells us she was 12 years old. I was reading that the other day and I never saw that. Wait a minute, I don't think that was by accident. The woman had 12, and Jerry's daughter had 12. You know what I think Mark was trying to tell us? I don't think that was by accident. You see, it's one thing to be healed and to start where you are now. But Jesus is not in the business of triage Oh, someone hear what I'm saying, I'm telling you, I'm almost done, but the Holy Ghost is not finished yet. There's somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. Because the point you're saying to, I can hear it in the Holy Ghost. You say, okay, but if he heals me, that's great. But there's too much damage to be done. I'm It's too late for me. I'm healed. But what do I do with all the stuff that's happened up to this point? Fine, the bleeding's gone. Great. But what about all the years of suffering? What about all the scars I carry from the doctors who treated me this way? From the rejection of my family? I got no money. I've got nothing. Okay, great. I'm healed but it's too late for me. Some of you go, well, okay, maybe someone else can be healed today. Somebody else has wanted, but I'm too old now. I wish I'd have heard this 20 years ago. I wish I could have heard this 30 years ago. I wish I'd have heard this when I was a kid. If I'd have heard it then, my life could have turned out differently, but I'm too old now. Life has passed me by. There's too much hurt, too much pain. Okay, I want it now, but it doesn't matter. It's too late. Sure, she's healed. Sure, the bleeding stopped. But what about the twelve years? But Mark says, "Jairus' daughter was healed. She was twelve years old." Jesus is not in the business of triage. When I say to you today that you're wanted and Jesus wants to heal you, He's not just trying to take away the pain of the moment. And have you just walk around with the empty pieces and the broken pieces and the scars. But say, hey, look, at least I'm not bleeding. Well, the bleeding stopped today. Thank you for that today, Pastor Joel. That was great. I appreciate that word. That was awesome. I received that today. The bleeding stopped. But you wake up tomorrow morning and go, well, I'm not bleeding anymore. But how do I even begin to put back all of these broken pieces? But Jesus went and healed a 12-year-old little girl. I believe what Mark was trying to say is that when he healed this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, it wasn't an accident that the next thing he did was heal a girl who was about to start the same process as this other. She'd have been 12, this was 12 So I believe what Mark was really showing us with the combination of these two miracles is that when that woman with the issue of blood was healed, she wasn't just healed physically, but she was restored mentally, emotionally, her heart, mind, strength, everything was brought back to the original condition it would have been when she was 12 before all that process in life started that never stopped. Brought it all the way back. She didn't have any kids. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have any place in society. So that proves to me that when she started this process, she would have been about the first time she received her first womanly process. So she would have been somewhere around that 12 to 13 year mark. And Mark was saying that Jesus not only stopped the bleeding, but he took her all the way back to the condition she was When she started, can I tell you today, not only are you wanted, but God's not interested in just stopping the pain. You know, if someone's wounded on the battlefield or someone is injured, the first thing you want to do is triage, pain management. Let's stop the bleeding, put a tourniquet. But there comes a point in time where you don't just want to address the current moment, but you want to deal with the damage, because ultimately you want to restore that person back to their original condition. God is not interested in tying a tourniquet on your bleeding wound today and say, okay, "Okay, well, you know what? At least you're not bleeding anymore. You might lose your arm, but you're not bleeding. We'll save your life, but we're going to lose your arm." That's not what I'm saying today. I'm just saying, "Hey, you're wanted." Great, the bleeding stopped, but I'm sorry, it's too late. You have to live with that. No, I'm telling you today, you're wanted. Not only does He want to heal you. But he wants to put you back together into your original condition. What I'm telling you today is not some fancy story that I manipulated out of the scripture. Not only of what I told you today biblically true but i could give you story after story after story of people that are watching this broadcast right along with you today that could testify that they've experienced exactly what i'm talking about we've had women on here today that have watching that have been abused they have been mentally physically emotionally abused when they came to jesus not only did he heal them but they he restored the years of the abuse physical abuse, mental abuse, hurt. We have people on here that have been rejected. We have people on here that have done things that they never knew they could ever be restored over. But not only did God heal them, but they can testify today that God has restored him. There's nothing you could tell me today that I would go, oh, well, you're right. That's probably too great for God. I've seen and heard too many things I've watched too many miracles. You've come too late to tell me that your situation is too difficult from God. The question is simply this. There's a healer. But would you reach out to the healer? Would you reach out through your pain? Would you reach out through your rejection? Would you reach out to him? But his reckless love is going to reach back to you. When people have rejected you, he'll accept you. When you were condemned, he's going to forgive. When you were broken, he's going to put you back together again. When you've been greeted with shame, he's going to greet you with love. When you have been kicked to the curb, he's going to hold you in his everlasting arms. You are wanted. In fact, I know this seems a little crazy, and I've gone a little longer than I intended to do, but someone needs, I feel like this so strongly right now, someone needs to say these words out loud. You need to hear yourself say them. Maybe you need to go to another room right now where nobody's around, but you need to say these words out loud to yourself so that you can hear yourself say these things. You need to say, call your name. Call your name, whatever your name is. You need to say, my name's Joel, so I'll use my name. Joel, you are loved and you are wanted. I want you to say that. I want you to call your name and I want you to say out loud, I am loved and I am wanted. Oh, that's silly. I said it. I don't feel anything. Say it until you believe it. You might say it the first time. I'm loved and I'm wanted. Big deal. Whoop. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's not magic. It's not some spell. Abracadabra. Hocus pocus. Voila. No. Release your faith. And tell the Lord, God, I don't know. I'm struggling with this. I've lived with these things for a long time. I don't know if it can be this easy. But I've known that you've talked to me today. I know you have spoken to me today. I can feel your love pulling me today. So I'm speaking today in faith. I'm loved and I'm wanted. How many times should I say it? Well, it's only 11.15. You probably don't have to go to bed tonight to at least 10 o'clock. If it takes all day, I'd say it all day. I'm loved and I'm wanted. And the voice of fear hits you. I'm loved and I'm wanted. The voice of doubt hits you. I'm loved and I'm wanted. The accusations hit you. I'm loved and I'm wanted. Shame calls out to you and yells in your ear. I am loved and I am wanted. Hurt says it's too late. I'm loved and I'm wanted. Sure, someone else can say that, but not you. No, I am loved and I am wanted because he called me daughter and he calls me son. That can happen today if you would let God penetrate into your heart. Father, I have felt so compelled today by your love, your reckless love, as you have reached out to those that are watching today that I don't even know who's watching but I believe you have brought somebody onto this broadcast whether it's live or they're watching later you've brought them here because you wanted them to hear those words that they are loved and they are wanted and they are accepted by you you won't reject you won't condemn you won't kick to the curb but you will love you will you will accept and you will receive them they are wanted Bind every lie, every voice of shame, every voice of accusation and doubt. I bind it in Jesus' name. I curse it right now and I speak faith to rise up in every heart that is watching today. Every life that is watching today. And right now in the name of Jesus, I speak healing and wholeness into every heart right now in Jesus' name. For those that feel unwanted, I speak healing into their heart today. By the power of the word and by the authority of the name of Jesus. I speak right now that, God, you would penetrate even the hardest hearts today. That your reckless love would find lodging in even the darkest places of our hearts today by your grace, by your mercy. Let your love penetrate into our heart today. We are wanted. We are loved. We are accepted because of you and your reckless love. I speak all these things today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it be.